everybody. This is all about Windows Phone Insight Podcast number 115. I'm Steve Litchfield and uh, with me I have Rafe Blanford. Yes, hello everybody. Back for podcast number 115. We're recording this just a little bit late, uh, but we've got quite a bit to get through. There's been some actually quite big hardware announcements, lots of software announcements, and we're going to be sharing some opinion as well this week. Yeah, it's also late in the day, so do excuse us if, as usual, we're quite tired in our, in our podcast voices. We're doing the best we can. Um, we did have a question at the end of last week's podcast, Rafe, um, from Keith Bartlett. His question was, why buy Windows Phone when uh, here Maps and Microsoft Office and Mixed Radio, etc., etc., are all on Android? And I did reply to this uh, in kind uh, with a big feature on the site with 10 reasons why people should choose Windows Phone. And uh, I, I should also point out, in the interest of balance, <laughs> I found it equally easy to compile a list of 10 reasons why people shouldn't choose windows phone i do like to see the pros and cons and everything so as you listen to this podcast if you just hang on a few more hours into friday uh, you should see my list of the top 10 reasons why not windows phone possible showstoppers and possible possible thoughts for the future but uh, just a tease for that in the meantime rave did you think my my original top 10 was worthwhile Yes, and I think the one to really pull out, well, there's a couple actually, but it's the common apps and thinking. And this is the idea that you get the consistency of experience. So you're going to kind of get that across the apps anyway. If you use Office on, say, a Windows machine or on a Mac machine, it's going to feel like Office when you use it on the tablet and on the phone, regardless of whether it's iOS or, or Windows Phone or Android. But the rest of the platform won't necessarily have that familiarity. And so it's it's consistency outside of the Microsoft services actually, you know, in the platform itself. And when we think about apps, you know, they do kind of sit in a silo, but increasingly they're also built into the the operating system, the platform itself. And I think that's sometimes underplayed. And so, you know, if you're going to get the really easy to use kind of consistent experience, it's going to be better on a Windows, I think. I, I think the other one you picked up on was really about the kind of the security both in terms of the friendliness to enterprise, it's something I mentioned in my response to this on the podcast last week. But also, I think there's a, a lot to be said about the, um, I, I, you called it not ha- hackable and safe for viruses. I'm sure it is hackable, uh, but the very nature of the kind of the platform security on the various platforms means that Windows Phone, with things like Trusted Secure Boot and the other parts of the trusted computing platform, as Microsoft terms it, does mean that it's a lot harder to install those kind of dodgy applications. It doesn't have a kind of the ROM scene that Android has and that ability to sort of install things from untrusted sources. So I think, you know, that, that's a good point. And that's perhaps not directly related to the, uh, you know, the, the Windows and the Microsoft services. Um, but I think probably the most important one, uh, that you talk about is the speed and responsiveness on even the budget hardware and, uh, I think Android's got much, much better in that respect, particularly when you look at a device like the Motorola E or the Motorola G. But there are still a lot of low-end Android devices that don't give a particularly good experience, whereas you can buy a Windows Phone device and be pretty sure, even if it's one of the low-spec ones, it's going to perform pretty well. So I guess it's that consistency thing um, again. And I think those budget Windows phone devices will continue to work even when you kind of load them down with a bit of data. Um, I think the ones with four gigabytes of uh, internal memory can be a bit small, whereas I think the Android devices still do have a tendency to slow down. It'll be interesting to see whether Android L uh, improves that situation because they have got various improvements in there for that. So it's kind of a bit of wait and see. But uh, Windows phone and Microsoft certainly have the better track record there. 
Yeah, uh, and having been just watching uh, an episode of West Wing called uh, Take Out the Trash Day, which I'm sure Rafe will remember well, whereby they, they, the West Wing uh, PR people threw out all the news stories that they wanted people to forget on a Friday afternoon. Um, I should just say that my, my top 10 reasons why not to go Windows Phone is being published on a Friday, not for that reason, just because I happen, <laughs> happen to finish it on a Thursday evening. But um, do look out for that anyway. Um, there's been a big Here Maps data update in the last day or so. If you go into your Windows phone, go into Here Maps, and you should be prompted to say, there's an update, T- tap here to check, and then it should go off and check. And hopefully, for whichever countries you've downloaded the offline maps, you should get an incremental update. Mine was about 50 megabytes, which is, I think, about one-sixth the size of the actual data set. So it's a fairly big update as incremental updates go, Rafe. Yes, it is. I mean, I got a, a similar size one. Uh, it's worth pointing out that the various countries are also kind of getting richer data. A couple of the European countries are getting building outlines, for example, and there's uh, updates to some of the transport stuff as well. In general, I, I guess it's a good time to remind us that uh, we like here maps because of the offline mapping functionality. But as referred to in the previous question, it is now available for uh, select Android devices. And so you can get the kind of the, the benefits of here maps on your Android uh, smartphone. I think it's safe to assume it won't be too long before iOS follows. It makes sense to have that kind of horizontal play, but uh, it is worth bearing in mind that it's still built into the Windows Phone platform rather than just being kind of an app. And, you know, in the same way that Google Maps is built into Android or Apple Maps is built into iOS, you're probably going to get the best here Maps experience on Windows Phone. And you'll certainly benefit from the offline maps in more Apps, but it's nice to see these updates coming regularly now on a quarterly basis. And I think it's actually the, the fact that it, as you say, it's taking up to a fifth of the kind of total size of maps just goes to show how much more data and extra work is being put into the map updates. It's quite scary when you think about the kind of level of commitment that's involved in that. So yeah, thumbs up. I always like downloading the update. Uh, I, I can't say I've ever been in a situation where it's probably saved my bacon, but the uh, very idea that I've got the most up to date maps possible is uh, attractive in itself. Yeah, and I should also just note, it's, it's not in the show notes here, Rafe, but I did notice that the uh, the Here Transit application uh, has been updated, the data sets for that, quite a bit in recent months. And there's a whole blog post over on the Here Maps uh, website, which will perhaps point people to in a link of interest, detailing all the different um, data operators and travel operators they've been working with across the world and filling in gaps. And one of them has been the Overland uh, Railways in the UK, which at last are now fully supported in Here Transit. So that's well worth uh, having installed. Oh, that's excellent news. So that's something I use on a, a regular basis here in the UK. And it's always sort of annoyed me slightly that it's when you ask it to plot a route, it's not taking those into account. And you know, that kind of multimodal transport routing is really very important. Um, you know, the cities tend to be quite well served. You know, there's apps like City Mapper on other platforms. Um, and we've got some of the equivalents on, on Windows Phone. But transit is actually turning into kind of a, a utility belt for any public transport. And, as with any app, it's only really as good as the content and the services in it. And once you have it for your local area, particularly if you've got the real time information for when the transport is going to arrive or, you know, what the next few departures are from the specific station you're at, that's when it becomes really useful. And you, know, you don't realize the value of it until you actually have it. And then, of course, you kind of tend to take it for granted. But it's just probably a good reminder for people to go and check it out for their city because it may well be that they've had an update since they last tried to use it. 
And a big, big tip. Um, <laughs> let's say you're heading off on a journey. You think, no problem, I've got here transit installed. You get to the train station. It's all rather stressful and panicky. And you open here transit. And you then have to work out how the heck to use the app, how to get the most from it, how to do all the various swipes and drop downs and menus while you'll get all the stress of traveling. For goodness sake, do a dummy run first. Get to grips with the application. Work out how it works, how, how to get the, be- the, best, the best from it, and then go on your journey later on. Uh, I'm detecting uh, an element of real experience yes. pain here. Steve, by is that is that the case by any chance? It is. I have to say that Here Transit doesn't have the most intuitive interface in the world, but I, I appreciate it's trying to do quite a powerful job. So, uh, yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take my own advice. I'm going to do a dummy run, and then when I'm next heading off up to I don't know Northampton or somewhere, I'll be well prepared. Uh, and in that, it's actually worth setting up some favourites within Here Transit, and potentially even using the uh, live tiles, you know, pinning the journey and things like that, which is something you can do with uh, Here Transit. Uh, it, yes, you're right. It's kind of a powerful application, and I think sometimes people will prefer a dedicated city plan if there is one available. Of course, the benefit of Here Transit is that it will work in almost any city that you go to anywhere in the world, once it's past a, a certain size at least. Yeah, absolutely. And talking of cross-platform, which we were a moment ago with the Here Maps and Here Transit and so forth, um, Microsoft's OneDrive application is, of course, available across multiple platforms now. Uh, in, and, and as a byproduct of that, possibly, there's been a big update to the OneDrive client for Windows Phone, including a rather Android-y interface, Ray. <laughs> you, you try to tap top left of the interface and you can have a sort of slide out pop out panel with different accounts and areas which completely mimic the the metro style swipe left swipe right areas i filed recent shares it's, it's all a bit of a mishmash and I'm, I'm really not sure whether they, they they're doing the right thing i can see they're trying to unify the interface across the different platforms but they're abandoning some of the crown jewels of the the windows phone interface i think and i know you and, and several years ago wrote an editorial on this very fact that that they, they've got this unique selling point and this wonderful panorama style interface and they keep abandoning it to try and make it more palatable to people on other mobile platforms yeah it's an interesting one because i had this update download automatically i tried to use it i sort of went whoa what's happened i really don't like that uh, i think app design i mean aside from being a really subjective subject some people will like it some people won't I think getting the guiding principles of the, sort of the modern UI or the Metro UI right is difficult at the best of times. It becomes much harder when you try to combine it, which is perfectly within the guidelines with your own kind of branded UI. And we've seen Twitter and Facebook do that. And so it's still using many of the elements that are common to Windows Phone, but it feels much more like a, a Twitter or a Facebook app. And you can see the common elements across the platform. It feels like the OneDrive team has tried to do something similar here. Uh, and yet it hasn't really worked. And I think if you can't do it successfully, you should stick with an app that sort of uh, uses the, you know, the basic principles, the basic style templates or the design patterns from, from that platform. And I think particularly for something like OneDrive, which is cloud storage, you don't, don't overcomplicate it. So it was kind of a bit disappointing to see that kind of update. And I suspect it is uh, kind of a legacy of this more cross-platform thinking. And I think uh, I, I have no objection to that whatsoever. I think it's absolutely the right thing for Microsoft to do. And uh, yes, they've been forced into it because of where they are in the mobile ecosystem very, very firmly in third place. But at the same time, uh, do acknowledge the fact that it's great for consumers that you'll be able to get this one consistent set of services or at least consistent in theory across 
any mobile platform you choose to use. And for those of us who switch devices regularly and switch platforms, that's a, a real boon being able to have everything working. You know, it's fine if you Android and iOS and using Google services, but you switch to Windows Phone and that, that falls down. So, uh, it's really just sort of flagging up where if Microsoft can't get it right, you do sort of wonder about how hard it is for, you know, third parties to do, do the same thing. Um, I, th- I suppose we should talk about some good OneDrive news. Uh, it is getting OneDrive for business support, but I think more importantly, it's worth noting that if you're an Office 365 subscriber, which isn't directly linked to Windows Phone, um, but obviously there are so, some benefits uh, if you're using Office regularly on be it Mac or Windows or on tablet devices, you, you may well be a subscriber. But those subscribers previously had one terabyte of uh, OneDrive storage space, and Microsoft recently announced that actually they're going to make it unlimited. And so for uh, it, it depends on which exact Office 365 subscription you get, but for about £90 a year, you can have unlimited OneDrive space. And, oh, by the way, you also get a full version of Microsoft Office, which I think is a pretty good deal. Oh, come on now. What a terabyte. Let's think about that from 1,000 <laughs> gigabytes. How, how on earth does 1,000 gigabytes differ from unlimited? How tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of people I, one person in the entire world, Paul Therott, is actually used more than a terabyte of onless. <laughs> Imagine how long it would take to restore a terabyte down any kind of connection, even even Wi-Fi, you know, the fastest Wi-Fi. It would take days, if not weeks or months. Yeah, you're, you're not wrong. Um, it's all about the perception, of course, and the idea that you get unlimited storage sounds better than one terabyte, and um, it's the same reason that all the broadband providers will talk about, you know, unlimited data. And we had the same thing with phones. You know, does it really matter whether I have 5,000 calling minutes or unlimited minutes or 10,000 text messages or whatever it happens to be? You know, it, it's, it, I guess you could say that it's a marketing ploy, but I think it's, it, it's worth highlighting. I will say since going up to the uh, one terabyte limit, I have uh, uploaded a whole bunch of archival stuff onto OneDrive. So I'm now using um, a couple of hundred gigabytes of stuff that was previously sitting in a, a, a remote hard disk and actually it still is, but I wanted it in the cloud as well. And the fact that I can access uh, pictures from uh, up to 10 years old uh, from anywhere is, is really fantastic. But I, I will confess, yes, I do think it's probably a while before I get anywhere near a terabyte. I, I, I reckon my uh, image or you know, my photo catalog probably uh, increased at the rate uh, at very most about 500 megabytes a month. And that's uh, the big space hog. If I was doing videos, it might be a bit more. And something, yeah. So may, maybe if I was capturing videos, I could get near to the one terabyte limit. But yeah, fair enough, Steve. You're, uh, I think that's a perfectly acceptable rent. Someone was asking on Twitter earlier, they, they were complaining about Windows Phone, that there was no way to automatically upload videos to SkyDrive straight one drive. I think there probably is, but by default, absolutely by default, that is turned off. And it's completely sensible. Imagine if the, you're at Joe Average just shooting 1080p video on his Lumia 930 or 830 or whatever. Um, and imagine he had that turned on. And the, the average mobile user does have come some kind of data cap. It's normally a gigabyte or two gigabytes at most. Imagine if you're auto-uploading 1080p video, you just completely blow your data cap and you lay yourself uh, open to outrage data bills so I, I the whole concept of um backing up videos directly to OneDrive from the phone i'm sorry that just terrifies the life out of me well i i do actually do it but it's only over wi-fi and so it sort of does it when the phone's plugged in at night 
And, and even so, it, you know, even so, yeah, I guess it, it takes a lot of time. It depends how fast your broadband connection is, but you're absolutely right. That's why it's turned off um, by default. And yes, the, I think any of these automatic uploads, the potential for sort of bill shock from lots of data, and it, it's not so much bill shock as actually you run through your allowance and then it will, you'll get a text message from your operator saying we're switching you down to low speed or switching you off altogether. And that's actually really irritating because it's kind of, out of my control. I mean, I was looking at my uh, data sense use counters and I get through about 15 gigabytes or so of data every month, of which the vast majority actually goes over Wi-Fi because I'm either at home or in the office and there's Wi-Fi available in both places. Uh, But increasingly, uh, that level of uses has gone up and most of it's actually driven by either automatic uploads or automatic downloads of podcasts, all of which is happening overnight. Yeah, well, of course, one thing I do wish Microsoft would implement, and many people have complained about this as well, is having the possibility to download podcasts over, is it something like 50 megabytes over cellular data? And 50 megabytes isn't that huge in, in today's world, especially with a lot of people having unlimited data, and downloads could be faster as well. So I really wish they'd up that limit and say, you know, something under, anything under 150 megabytes you can do over cellular Anything over 150 has to be Wi-Fi. Yeah, and they do the same thing for apps. And they have upped the limit a couple of times. But it feels to me like I'm always reluctant to suggest adding extra settings into a phone. But that does feel like one of those things where if you are on an unlimited data plan, it would be great if that sort of thing could be switched off or uh, at least an ability to up the limit somehow. Yeah, absolutely. And if I've got any of those figures wrong in the last couple of news items, please don't write in. It's it's been a long day and we're doing the best we can. (laughs) Um, Introducing Microsoft Health was my headline. And uh, this morning I also added on and the Microsoft Band, both of which were released about 2 a.m. I think our time this morning, Rafe. You probably had a quick look at the promo video. I have to say this looks rather interesting. It doesn't try to be a smartwatch, all things to all people. It knows what it wants to do. It's going to be, it's focused around fitness and, and health, but with the time and essential notifications still pushed from iPhone, Android, or Windows Phone, all n- nicely integrated, I think this could be just perfectly pitched. And, of course, if the price is right and the size and weight and the materials are right, I think, actually, this could be quite a good seller. Yeah, I think it's interesting because Microsoft are relatively late to the game in terms of smartwatches and, and fitness, but they have actually managed to come up with something that feels just a, a little bit different to what's gone before, or maybe by being in the second generation, the sensors and things like that who are a bit more mature. There's 10 sensors altogether, and one of the interesting things is at launch, they're not all going to be kind of switched on and activated, but it's things like uh, heart rate, then accelerometers, uh, GPS, um compass and various bits and pieces one of the ones that caught my actually was uv light and that's going to be a way to measure kind of how much uh, daylight or sunlight you're getting whether you should uh, get more the kind of the hardware i haven't seen one in person so it's a bit difficult to talk about it it looks a little bit bland to my eyes um it's sort of similar to the samsung gear fit but i do like as you say the approach that they've taken with this where which is a bit more less is more and there are notifications on it but it's not really in the kind of the realms of android Wear, whether it's trying to sort of run applications or something like the apple watch either it it is more kind of an extension of the fitness bands things like the fitbit but obviously it's got a screen and it's doing notifications at a not i wouldn't say a basic level and actually it's looked like there's some quite complicated ways you can specify what the uh, band will show you in terms of, kind of there's a, a strip of well you want to call them live tiles but i guess they're tiles running across the screen you can use it as a watch and there is this kind of 
whole health and fitness angle in terms of motivating you to do things or be a kind of assistant in the gym. But um, the things that kind of caught my eye was being able to have a quick look at email, the integration with Cortana, so you can uh, take notes very easily. you know, until we actually able to try one out and you know, find out a little bit more about it, it, it's hard to judge this. But what I thought was really smart was the kind of the idea of health in the cloud sitting behind this. And it's cross-platform, so it, again, great if you use multiple devices. And a lot of the other ones are, are locked, particularly when you look at the Samsung efforts, for example, many of which kind of lock to the Galaxy line of smartphones and something like the Apple Watch well, we don't know for sure yet, but we're assuming that's going to be iOS only. And even some of the, the fitness bands tend to support one platform better than the other. But Microsoft have not only been agnostic in that sense, they're also being agnostic in the hardware that you're using. So you can use Jawbone Up and there are various other partners and more to come. And they're also being agnostic about the kind of some of the apps and services running on it in the same way that uh, you have on Android Wear and Apple, but uh, sort of a level of integration that's maybe slightly different. And it's then collecting that data and then it's going to do smart things in terms of recommendations and storing it. It will also interestingly connect with Microsoft Healthful and therefore, at least in theory, you'll be able to pass it off to your doctor or to a hospital. That really depends on whether that, that kind of Healthful support is available in your market. It's really something that's only taken off in the US. It's not widely used elsewhere. But yes, certainly enough to catch my attention. It's $199. So, I mean... Uh, that might be £200 in the UK market. It might be £150. That, to me, feels quite competitively priced compared to the smart bands at around the £100 mark versus the uh, smart watches that tend to be up in the 250 even £300 price mark and, and more um, for some of the sort of more premium ones. So well worth keeping an eye on. Health is actually going to be an app that's worth downloading even if you don't have this Microsoft band, particularly with some of the integration it's going to start offering. Actually, it's the first... Uh, and I thought, hmm, I quite, quite fancy one of those. I regularly wear a Fitbit um, device and I've been kind of looking at smartwatching and going, do I really want to upgrade to that? Um, because it doesn't have the, most of them have the Windows phone integration. It's not something that's really caught my attention that much before, but uh, the Microsoft band obviously does. And so you know, worth keeping an eye on. I, I, I think it could turn out to be a bit of a, a sleeper, not a hit, but certainly get a bit of attention. And Microsoft seems to somewhat surprisingly for a version one product got an awful lot of things right uh, i think the design and the hardware feels a little bit too generation one maybe a bit too geeky it's not really an attractive fashionable device but actually to be fair a lot of smart bands and smart watches have that problem yeah yeah it should be noticed that you mentioned the price in dollars there this is only available in the usa as indeed is the microsoft health app at the moment so i, I think i was saw jojo belfiore quoted today in the news feeds as saying that basically microsoft health and indeed the microsoft Bandwatch are both kind of experiments they're testing the waters and they want to get lots of user feedback to make both products better which is absolutely fine but it's a bit frustrating seeing yet another product grave which is only available in america and not available over here for us to try out it is i think we've been spoiled to sort of from the Nokia years where they were always much more of a global company, you know, partly because their home market was small, or at least the UK was one of their key markets along with the US and various other European and a few Asian markets. And so we always got to see their accessories and their devices. Microsoft obviously has its bigger home market. And so if it's running an experiment, it kind of makes sense to just launch it in the US. But it it, it does frustrate me because there's a lot of attention around this. And I think there's a lot of 
uh, Windows Phone um, fans or, or users who will see them and go, oh, I really wish I could have one of them, find out that it's US only, ignore it and forget about it. Whereas if they'd launched it, even in sort of some of their key markets, or if they'd made it available in the UK, that then makes it relatively easy for a bunch of Europeans to order it through something like Amazon or even through Microsoft Store. So it does feel like a bit of a missed opportunity there. You know, uh, there are going to be obviously regulatory things and make sure the data feeds are in place. But I... I'm afraid I'm not terribly sympathetic to that. I think something that's in such a hot space that has got so much attention, it really was a bit of a, a stumble to make it US only. Yeah, and they, they do say it's water uh, it's water resistant, but not waterproof, which I actually think is a misstep. Because where do you draw the line? They say you can okay, you can you can you can get, be out in a rainstorm, you can do the washing up all this on, but you mustn't take it into the shower, you mustn't swim in it, and, and you can see where they get it coming from in terms of the the raw IP specs. Um, in terms of ruggedness and resistance. But for the average person to think, well, okay, I can wash up, but I can't go in the shower. And and surely there are people who forget or they they misunderstand. They get it ruined by water. And then Microsoft said, oh, no, it's your own fault. You did this or that. And I think there's going to be a lot of uh, bad feeling there. They should perhaps make this thing totally waterproof, as indeed are nearly every other smartwatch out there. Yeah, I, I agree. It really has to be uh, waterproof. I mean, there are various watches that aren't. Um, there's talk about the Apple Watch. That's probably just going to be splashproof rather than completely water-resistant. But if you're wearing this device all the time, you don't want to have to remember to take it off. And you know, something like swimming or, you know, as you say, the shower. Or There's various other things that you, you can be doing and you just forget about it. And, and the reality is you'll probably be all right, especially if you remember and realise quickly. Um, but the off chance, and it does go wrong, uh, yes, it's an extra engineering challenge, and uh, it's a bit a bit like all the, you know, smartphones. Quite a lot of them are, are basically, you know, splash-proof in that you can take them out and use them in the rain. But it's a big claim to then step up to being waterproof. And there are various ways of doing it. You know, we're talking about the nano coatings and some of them have gone that are having lots of rubber caps on all the ports and the extremities and things like that. Uh, I've yet to come across one that feels totally and completely natural in doing it. And the, the smartphone isn't something you kind of feel you need to drop in water all the time. If you have got one that does it, it's kind of cool. But honestly, it's not. I, I, I don't need to take it in the shower. I don't need to take it swimming. But a fitness band, something I'm wearing all the time, that's a very different thing because yeah. you actually have to take a deliberate action to take it off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My pebble steel with a, a custom neoprene strap, I think is, is pretty, pretty integral and it feels pretty good. And it is completely and utterly survives any water treatment. But this new um, the Microsoft band does look a lot sleeker. And as you say, you, you're less likely to be aware that you've got it on. You will li- quite literally forget. And as I say, I think there are a few uh, uh, repair jobs <laughs> and repair suits waiting to happen there. Um, moving on quickly, um, just very briefly on this. This is Microsoft's um, quarter three results. Now, Rafe, now you can probably talk for England and for half an hour on this, but I want to focus in on the the, the figure that uh, they said they sold 9.3 million Lumia smartphones in quarter three. And on top of that, I'm guessing we can add up to a million um, from other Microsoft licensees, including some of the newer ones who, who will have had some sales in quarter three. So as a, a ballpark figure, 10 million Windows phones sold in quarter three, or roughly about 30% the number of iPhones. But as I, said, I mentioned in last week's podcast, uh, uh, if you said, okay, it's only a third the number of iPhones, that doesn't sound very good. On the other hand, you think the iPhone is a wild success. A third the number of a, of a wild success actually starts to sound a bit better. 
Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time coming. There, there was sort of some suggestions that there has been a, a 10 million quarter before for Windows Phone, but I think you can be absolutely certain this time it definitely has done it and has probably gone over a bit, as you say. I think it's probably fairly easy to assume there are 700,000 other phones out there by the time you count up a few of the Samsung HTC devices, and particularly some of the new licenses. They haven't really gone heavily on sale yet, but there's probably enough in that kind of... Uh, August, September timeframe to, to get there. And and you're right, it's actually getting to a scale which doesn't quite feel so easy for people just to dismiss and say, that's not anything at all. You know, you can see something similar happening in kind of the UK market where um, iPhones represent around 20 to 25%, depending on how exactly you calculate the figures of the, the smartphone sold. And then it's about 10% for Windows Phone. And obviously the kind of the, the majority, 65% uh, Android, maybe a, a few percentage for others, for BlackBerry and or maybe Amazon uh, Fire Phone, at least in the next quarter, or maybe not given the sales figures. But that's actually within a range that feels a lot closer than when we were talking about 3 or 4% versus 20, 25%. You know, there's a, a scale factor there that it's not so different. Uh, I think you, some caution is required because it's it's not like these are all Lumia 930 or 830. The vast majority of these devices being sold are going to be the low-end devices. You know, the 530 and the 630 are probably what has sort of propped these numbers up a bit. But they are still continuing to grow slowly. It's up about, I think, 8% it was from the, the previous year, which given all the kind of expected, uh, I think, ruffles, shall we say, caused by Microsoft acquiring Nokia and the inevitable delays and sort of complications that ensue because of that. It's pretty positive that the numbers are, are still going upwards. I think they need to be quite a bit more than that before people will really take Windows Phone seriously. But it's not impossible to see how that might happen. You look at a device like the 730, 735, the 830, couple that with a whole raft of these cheaper Windows Phone devices. It's not difficult to see uh, Windows Phone maybe adding another 5 million. And once you get to that 15 million point and you're within you know, uh, a factor of two of iOS, that starts to get a bit more interesting. And I think uh, it, it's that difference between three or 4% market share globally and six or seven and moving towards the 10% mark. Now, don't get me wrong, still a long way to go. Um, but I think it's probably for, for those who said that, you know, Windows Phone was just going to disappear. This is quite clear proof it's not. But I think for those who are big supporters of Windows Phone, there'll be a bit of disappointment that it's it's been a slow grower. Uh, we had last year, you know, big growth in the low end of the market. And it's quite clear that uh, Microsoft, in, in with its Lumia devices, being able to defend it, but it hasn't really been able to grow it that much in the sort of quarter two, quarter three of this year. And so there is a sort of a question, how does it, you know, get that next stage of growth is it from the mid-tier devices is it from these new licensees is it from making those low-end devices uh, a little bit better i think there's work to do here but um i i think probably the most telling thing is there wasn't actually too many death to windows phone it was more sort of eh, microsoft has shipped a few more lumia devices than we're expecting or they're getting towards the 10 million mark and that very lack of commentary and excitement around it is itself i think quite telling yeah, we've also had news during the week, very briefly, um, that uh, confirmed by the Conversations blog that upcoming devices will be branded Microsoft, Lum Microsoft Lumia with the word Microsoft on the front of devices, not Lumia, as I was expecting, which is, uh, I guess, it's kind of logical in one way, Rafe, and, and every other device in the phone shops, you see the manufacturer, for example, Samsung. 
Uh, and of course, Nokia itself was the manufacturer. That was the name on the front. And here's Microsoft will, will, will be the manufacturer. So Microsoft's name go on the front. But I was kind of expecting Lumia to go there because Lumia is, is such a well-known brand, certainly in the UK. And also because Lumia, of course, is a five-letter word ending in A and would seem to replace Nokia rather neatly on the front without too much redesign work. Yes, I was surprised too, Steve. I mean, I guess it's the passing of an era and those of us who have been using Nokia devices for years can't help shed a tear. It feels like we should have uh, 30 seconds of silence, but that'll probably be pretty boring to listen to on a podcast. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll skip that. Uh, I think Steve will be all the more keen to ha- hold on to his 830. It's kind of the last of the Nokia branded smartphones. Of course, it is a, a Microsoft device. But if you, uh, and there is this sense of sadness for those who are familiar with the, the Nokia brand. There are, I guess, some rumblings about Nokia maybe uh, getting back into the space in due course. It seems a little unlikely to me. Uh, Microsoft was always going to have to do this. They had kind of the two year uh, timeline to switch over the brand after which they no longer had the right to use it on smartphones. It's still going to be on the kind of the dumb phones on those cheap series 40 type devices but yeah of course it's the end of an era but if i step back and try and think about it rationally obviously it makes sense for microsoft to use their own brand on it i was kind of expecting to see lumia on the front and maybe microsoft on the back of the devices or something a bit more more subtle and i i think the problem they have here is for a certain segment of their uh, kind of potential buyers there's a certain amount of toxicity to the microsoft name and people don't want to be seen with a microsoft branded device to me that feels a bit short-sighted and a bit of a silly thing to say but branding and that kind of fashion thing is very very important um, you only need to look at the iphone a lot of people buy that not because they really need an iphone and everything it can do but for the status and for the brand uh, and what it says about you know it's kind of an aspirational thing and uh, I think Nokia, in the same way it had that, it, it's admittedly, I think, lost over the last few years. And Nokia doesn't mean the same thing. And if you look at some of the market research around the Lumia brand, particularly outside the kind of the, the strength of the Western European markets, Lumia has become very well known, which is why I was expecting it to be sort of more prominent in the branding of the devices. But you also have to set it against, of course, Microsoft is an incredibly well-known brand. And those people who are sort of put off by Microsoft on the device probably would have gone elsewhere anyway. And there will be people who look at it, see Microsoft and say, oh, that's something I'm familiar with. They'll see the live tales and go, yes, that's what I want to buy. And so I think overall, it probably does make sense. Uh, it doesn't uh, it does, doesn't mean that you can't let a, a tear trickle down your cheek as you uh, have your last ever Nokia branded smartphone. <laughs> a couple more brief news stories before we, we can finish. Uh, we don't have to comment on these, Rafe, but uh, Xbox video for Windows Phone 8.1 has got a, a fairly major update in that you get new controls in the video player, which means you can nudge playback forwards and backwards. You could always, uh, in the last few versions, drag the timeline, but it was a bit imprecise. Now you can kind of podcast style, you know, could go back, uh, back, I think it's back seven seconds and forward 30, which works really, really nicely. So definitely update that. Um, also, uh, Microsoft Garage, which is a, a or garage, I guess, if you're in America, America, <laughs> kind of a Nokia beta labs for the modern modern age. Uh, early access to sort of um, almost personal projects by Microsoft programmers across all platforms, actually, not just Windows Phone. But there's quite a few of them listed in our news story. Again, 
only available in the USA, though why on earth they couldn't have made these Microsoft Garage, um, you know, test applications that were available worldwide, I do not know because there's no real USA-centric nature to them, Rafe. Yeah, really short-sighted this. I mean, particularly if you're looking to collect feedback and it's kind of a beta thing, if it's a, an issue of the content not being available, that's fine. People expect it to you know, maybe be US-centric in that sense. But uh, it, it, it feels like a really short-sighted, well, I, I don't want to say stupid, but it is basically a thing to do because <laughs> the very people who want to try this out aren't necessarily going to be tied to the US market and they are going to be your biggest kind of evangelists and, and promoters. And so to kind of lock them out of this seems... Uh, uh, not not sensible when it would be trivial to make it available i mean even if you just sort of made it available for the english language markets or even if you you could put a big caveat in the app store description saying that you know it's not supported outside the us people be be fine with that but uh i I suppose someone must have a reason for it somewhere but uh, i would like to hear it and like to hear it justified beyond the oh it's about support or content availability it's it's kind of the sort of thing that uh, tends to turn Rafe into a bit of a hulk-like rage machine <laughs> okay quick quiz for Rafe: star trek or star wars that's difficult i think i'm probably gonna have to say uh, mm, Rafe, I'm, I'm, redesigning the, 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 the phrase quick quiz here to be quick, slow quick quiz all right uh star trek tea or coffee i uh, don't like tea or coffee <laughs> this quiz is not going well lcd or amoled oh um i'll get shouted at by steve whatever i say but lcd yeah i did an editorial i'll just point people towards it in this podcast on why lcd is now a better choice than amoled that doesn't mean that i actually prefer lcd i actually just wanted to make this clear on the podcast <laughs> i do love amoled screens i love the colors i love the the, the sheer efficient nature of only lighting the pixels that need to, needed to be lit and of you know black being pure black but i I put up a whole list of pros for LCD, and it's true that the, the, the screen on the 830 in particular, even better than the screen on the 1520, um, and it's not just Nokia. I mean, HTC have done wonders too in the, in the Android world. Some of the latest top-end LCD panels coming out of the industry are just stunningly good, and that they're almost as high contrast um, as the AMOLED screens in terms of blacks, and with the benefits of the, you know, the better colour balance, for example, uh, on LCD. So uh, do go and read the article. There's a whole lot long list of pros and cons for each technology but overall i would say that yes across all devices all use cases all users i think lcd is now the best choice rather than amoled as a technology Uh, and i'd agree with you i think it's a change that has happened in the last year or so i think amoled will still sometimes look better on the shop shelf but when you're actually living with a device day to day that that benefits of lcd and i think it is particularly around color balance and accuracy really do win out in the in the end and it's kind of got 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 beyond the point where the advantage that AMOLED had, and, and to an extent, I suppose you could say, still has in some areas, is now counterbalanced by those undoubted advantages of LCD. And it's a great article, so please do go and read it. Thank you, Rafe. Anyway, well, we're out of time. With this, this podcast is over. Excellent. Well, we've managed to get through a whole bunch of stuff, and I think it's probably a good point to sign off rather than let me rabbiting on a- again. I'll hand over to Steve for the final goodbye. Yes, thanks for listening. We will try and keep this a weekly thing, so thanks for listening. Catch us next week on The Insight.